Lord, we thank you that you call us and you draw us into this divine romance. What a beautiful picture of a dance that is beautiful only when you lead and we follow. Lord, we thank you for your patience with us, but your desire to be closer to us. And Lord, that's our heart tonight. We want to draw closer to you. We want to know more of you. Lord, as we sang earlier, that comes through surrender and a willingness to be changed. So Lord, as we open your word tonight, we ask that you do that work in us. That you reveal areas to us that we need to yield. (laughs) Those things that we continue to insist on leading in that we would surrender that to you and that we would trust you. Lord, we know that your word is alive and active and if we allow it to, it will radically change us. And that's our desire, Lord. That's why we're here. So speak to us in your word now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good evening. How's everybody doing? Good, good. Anybody, anybody, anybody else going through some trials this week? Some difficulties? Okay, all right. I just wanted to make sure I'm not alone. It's not that, it's not that misery loves company, but... It's why we gather. One of the reasons why it's so important that we continue to gather together, that we come together and we study God's Word and we worship Him together, and then we bear one another's burdens, and we come together to be ministered together by God's word. If you'd open it up with me to 1 Samuel chapter 17. We've been introduced last week to, as I mentioned, kind of the third and the main character in the book of 1 Samuel, and that's David, this young boy, shepherd boy, who was anointed, as we saw last week, to be the the king of Israel, God's choice to be king of Israel the one who is after his own heart. And we've, we've seen that as man's king, the one that, that man would choose in, in Saul and the failures that he had, and that we now have been introduced to David. And we come to chapter 17 to a story that probably everyone in here is familiar with because pretty much everybody is familiar with. Even if you've never opened a Bible, you've probably heard the story of David and Goliath. It's one of those stories, and it's, the, the, it, it's so famous that the, even the secular world grabs a hold of and uses to explain the, the underdog story, you know, the David and Goliath, the, the, the giant and the, and the little guy kind of thing. And you know, the funny thing about it, as we're going to see, and that's underlined in the Word of God and that we understand as Christians, is that the world, when they use that, when they use that what is that? What's, what word am I looking for where it's used to describe something else? Anyway, that. The thing where it falls so short, the thing where the world just doesn't get it is when they say David and Goliath, they're saying that the little guy has almost no chance. The real deal is Goliath had no chance. The, the giant had zero chance in this story. So the world gets it all wrong. So next time you hear that, David and Goliath realize that they don't know what they're talking about. But anyway... Chapter 17, we, we saw in the last chapter as it was finishing up that, that uh, David has been 
now summoned to Saul to, to play his harp for him, to play music for him when he is, when he is attacked by this evil spirit. So that, that is part of it. But David goes back and forth, as we will see, from ministering to Saul back to being a shepherd for his father. And that's where David is now. He's back with the, with the flocks. And it tells us in chapter 17, Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah. And they camped between Soko and Azekah in Ephes Damin. One of the things we need to see here and understand right away is, again, they are in an area, it says, which belongs to Judah. The enemy has been allowed to come in to the territory that belongs to the children of God. And again, as we have talked of before, it appears as we will kind of go through the story that, that at the beginning anyway, that Saul's okay with that. And as long as we can keep this standoff going, as we'll see, as Goliath comes out, it goes on for 40 days without anybody standing up to this giant, to this thing. And it's like, okay, the giant's there, we all get it, but we're, we're good as long as he stays down there. Not, not moving forward with that. And we're going to come back to this, this uh, Ephes Demean. This, this is really cool that I saw earlier today. But it says now, Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and camped in the valley of Elah. Now, if you've ever been to Israel, we actually, it's one of the, my favorite places to go is to the valley of Elah. We actually can go right where this battle took place. And I have a couple of pictures from a trip that we took one time. This first one is kind of a picture looking down the middle of the Valley of Elah, and you'll notice on the right side and on the left side, there is high ground. And whenever there is a battle, that is always the best place to be, on high ground. And looking from this vantage point, as you can now picture what is going on, the Philistines are on the right side and the, Jew the Israelites are on the left side. Here's another picture kind of looking towards where the Philistines would have been camped and ready to come. And then here is the side where the Israelites were, and notice down there in the middle that brook will come into play in a little bit in our story, but it's great to be able to, when you go to Israel, if you never have and you get an opportunity, we're, plan, we're starting to plan another trip now for about a year and a half from now, but uh, to head to Israel, it's wonderful to actually stand in those places where these stories took place. This is one of those A locations, they call it. We know exactly, this is, this is the valley that this battle took place in. It says that they were camped in the valley of Elah and drew up in battle array to encounter the Philistines. They drew up in battle array. They got all in their line. They got all in their thing. They looked great. They're all set and ready to go. Everybody has their armor on. They get in battle array. And unfortunately, that's all the further they go. And so often in the church today, the church as a whole today. That is why there is no victory in the church because programs look great. There's a lot of things that, a lot of uh, ideas and all of this kind of stuff, but there's no power behind it. And there's no power behind the Israelites right now because Saul is the king and, and we saw last time that the Spirit of God has, has left Saul. There's no power in the camp. They can look great standing up there, but they're not ready for battle. And they know it. They know it deep down as we continue to see. Then, verse 4, a champion came out from the armies of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. Goliath. Knock, knock. Goliath. Goliath down. You looketh tired. All right. You all are going to tell that tomorrow. I know you are. 
I, I told that to our guide in Israel. I said, you can use it if you want. And he goes, no, thanks. No, no. <laughs> Goliath from Gath. His height, six cubits in a span. That works out to roughly nine, nine and a half feet tall. But he's not like Minute Bull, if you remember him from the NBA. He's not some just tall, skinny guy. He is a massive giant from the, the, the descendants of Anak, the Anakim. He had a bronze helmet on his head, verse 5, and he was clothed with scale armor which weighed 5,000 shekels of bronze. That is roughly somewhere between 150 and 200 pounds. And that's just the jacket he's wearing, the male armor that he has got, the, the, the steel plates that are interwoven together, bronze that are interwoven together. That's just the jacket he's wearing. And he's got leg things on everything. So just imagine the size of this guy, the, the strength that is here in this man. He also had bronze greaves on his legs and a bronze javelin slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and the head of his spear weighed 600 shekels of iron, roughly 25 pounds, the spearhead. So the spear, in order for him to throw it without it just dying down, the beam had to weigh 25 or more pounds in order for it to fly. So imagine a 50-pound spear in his hand. And a shield carrier walked before him. Verse 8 says, He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel and said to them, Why do you come out and draw into a battle array? Am I not the Philistine and you, the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourself and let him come down to me. He stood and he shouted. He comes out, walks boldly out into the middle of the valley, leaving that high vantage point, walking right out into the middle of the valley and shouting, standing and shouting. It's important in any battle to understand your enemy. And Peter tells us about our enemy. In 1 Peter chapter 5, he says, Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. We need to understand our enemy. We need to know how to combat our enemy. James tells us, therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. We're going to see that's not how the Israelites handled this. But we are told that in, in our battles that we face against a very real enemy, Peter tells us, your adversary. This is, this is though collective, it's also an individual battle that we have. And we need to understand that. And he tells us that we are, we are first of all, to submit to God. We need to be under his authority. Remember the story of Jesus when he was speaking to the centurion, and the centurion spoke of that authority. He said that he had authority only because he was under authority of Rome. And we have authority in our battles to stand firm against the enemy only if we are under the authority of the Lord Jesus. He says to be sober and alert. That means that we are always to be ready. We're always to be on the alert, never taking time off. Again, we need to know who our enemy is. And our enemy, as Paul tells us, is not flesh and blood. Our enemy is spiritual forces of darkness and wickedness. We are to put on the full armor of God, as Paul tells us. That's the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the boots, the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword, which is the word of God which we hold. 
we have to have the full armor of God on. It is only then that we can win the battle. And again, that whole idea, again, is submitting to the authority of the Lord. We face these battles, and at times they can, they can seem like the enemy is overpowering. Imagine, again, this man, this guy standing out there calling out in the enemy, this roaring lion. But one of the things, and I, and I love the way that this says this, because it's, look, look back at verse 1 when it says, in Ephes Damim. That is where the Philistines stopped. And this is, this is really cool. I, I love it when God shows you, know, shows you something in the Word or something like that, or when someone else, when you're here, and I was listening to a com, uh, somebody else teaching on this, and he pointed out the fact that Ephes Damim literally means the boundary of blood. The boundary of blood. The enemy can't come any further against us because of the boundary of blood. What do I mean? Well, it says in Hebrews chapter 2, Therefore, since the children share in the flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil. The blood of Jesus shed for us, poured out for us. It says in Revelation Chapter 12, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of the brethren has been thrown down, he who accuses them before our God day and night, and they overcome him because of the blood of the lamb and because of the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives even unto death. Powerful to know that we are covered in the blood, that the enemy, again, can only come so far that God is sovereign and in control, and if we are under his authority and in his protection, the enemy has no power over us. He cries out to them, trying to taunt them and intimidate them, and again, the enemy will do the same to us, this roaring lion, continually continually cry, roaring out to us. Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will become your servants. And if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall become our servants and serve us. Again, the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. This was common back then. Instead of having both sides come into the valley and fight and a whole bunch of casualties everywhere, oftentimes they would send out a champion, one from each side, and they would do battle. And the winner of that individual battle would be the winner, and the the other side would then surrender as slaves to the other. This was a common thing. And he's saying, here I am. Give me your best shot. Send out your best man. Now David, or I'm sorry, verse 11, when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistines, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. They heard these words continually coming. And it says that they were dismayed. They were full of fear, it says. Now, we talked of this last week, if you'll remember, that that Samuel was afraid at that time. And it's important to understand that things will happen that will cause that initial fear in us. But the Bible tells us that we have not been given a spirit of fear, but that we have been given a spirit of power and love and discipline. And as we pointed out last time, the way that we combat that, the way that we, that we turn the tables on that is, first of all, to confess that we are, that we are afraid, that there is something that has come. Then we just say, God, this is, this is too much for me. 
I, ha- I have anxiety or even fear over this. He knows. We just simply go and we confess that. But we don't stay in that place then. Then we turn to the word of God and we, as we just talked about, we, we, are, to, we are to resist the enemy, standing firm in the authority that we have under the, the authority of Jesus, standing firm in the word of God and then stepping out in faith. But they didn't do that. They continually cowered in fear over this giant that was there. And quite honestly, again, who can blame them from a physical standpoint? This guy that is out there, and he is a very real threat. Now David, verse 12, was the son of the Ephraimite of Bethlehem in Judah, whose name was Jesse. And he had eight sons. Jesse had eight sons. And Jesse was old in the days of Saul, advanced in years among men. The three older sons of Jesse had gone after Saul to battle, and the names of the three sons who went into battle were Eliab, the firstborn, the second was Abinadab, and the third was Shammah. David was the youngest. We saw that last, last time, that all of the brothers of, uh, or the sons of Jesse were brought before Samuel, and one after another, Samuel said, he's not the one, he's not the one, he's not the one, there's got to be one more, and it was David, and he's the youngest, he's the one that was anointed. David was the youngest. Now the three oldest followed Saul. They went off to battle, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's flock at Bethlehem, as we discussed. He's gone back and forth. He's now back taking care of the sheep. The Philistine came forward morning and evening for 40 days and took his stand. 40 days this was going on, and no response from Saul and the Israelites. Then Jesse said to David, his son, take now for your brothers, an ephah of roasted grain and these 10 loaves and run to the camp to your brothers. Bring also these 10 cuts of cheese to the commander of, the thou- of their thousands and look into the welfare of your brothers and bring back news of them. Just like any concerned parent would wanna know how things are going and, and concerned for his three sons and nothing wrong with buttering up their commander by sending a little cheese to him. For Saul, and they and all the men of Israel are in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. So David takes off now. He rises up early in the morning, left the flock with a keeper, and took the supplies and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the circle of the camp while the army was going out in battle array, shouting the war cry. Again, just um, this picture. It's, it's, if it wasn't so... so true of the mainline church today, it would be comical. 40 days, they've gone out and done the same thing. Standing in array, shouting the battle cry, everything looking and sounding great, but walking away with their tail between their legs every day because they're defeated. No victory. Day after day after day. No power. Israel and the Philistines drew up in battle array, army against army. Then David left his baggage in the care of a baggage keeper and ran to the battle line and entered in order to greet his brothers. So imagine the scene now. Here they are, all dressed up, all you know, in their armor, ready to go. Here's David, shepherd boy, shows up with some food, t- looking for his brothers. He just kind of works his way in, kind of, hey, what's going on? Can anybody give me an update of, of how things are going? He was talking with them. Behold, the champion, the Philistine from Gath, named Goliath, was coming up from the army of the Philistines, and he spoke these same words, and David heard them. I have that underlined because David heard it. One boy. Again, we don't know how old he is, but probably mid to late teens at this point, 17, 18, 19 years old probably. 
all of these experienced warriors, all of these ones who say, I know how to fight a battle, I know how to do these things, they are hearing this, they're hearing the taunts, they're totally, totally unsuccessful in taking care of the problem. Here's one who hears it now, and everything's about to change. When all of the men of Israel saw the man, they fled from him and were greatly afraid. And again, I just imagine this picture. <laughs> they're all there, they're all shouting, everything's great, and all of a sudden Goliath comes back out and he roars again, and they all, oh, and they start backing up. It tells us in, in the next verse, surely he is coming up to defy Israel. Now, perhaps that means he's coming a little farther than he ever has before. And all of a sudden, they're, they're at this place that they've maybe been standing for the last 10 days or so, and all of a sudden he's taking some more, and they start backing up, and I can almost see David kind of going, where are you guys going? What are you doing? And then the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who is coming up? Just look at him. Surely he is coming up to defy Israel. And it will be that the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. So Saul has obviously heard this and at some point said, if anybody will go out there and fight them, fight this guy, I'll give him my daughter's hand in marriage I'll give him a whole lot of money, and his family will never have to pay taxes again. Again, you have to beg the question, Saul, what are you doing? You're the leader, but he, instead of that, he's trying to bribe to anybody, anybody. Will anybody go take care of this? Then David spoke to the men who were standing by him, saying, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies of the living God? I love that. Now, some people have said that David, because he's going to ask again here in a minute, that the question is almost coming like, what's the guy going to get? Really? Like David's in it for that? We'll see, I, I don't believe that. Based on his reaction, even in the next chapter, he says, I, I'm not worthy of that. I don't believe that. I think David's response was, you mean you're, you have to be bribed to go get this guy? He is, he is mocking the living God. He is in our territory. He has no business being here. And you guys need a bribe for that? That's the way I see it. I mean, almost like he's getting mad. And if, it, when we read this, doesn't that sound familiar from just a couple of weeks ago? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Who is this? Remember Jonathan? A couple of weeks ago when we were talking about that, he goes, these uncircumcised Philistines, what are they doing here? They are in our territory. Somebody's got to go take care of this. So he and his armor bearer did. We'll see that in the next chapter, I don't think we'll get there tonight, but if we do, we'll see, Jonathan's heart is knit together with David's. No wonder. He sees this young man and he's like, man, that's the heart of a leader. That's the heart of a champion. That's a heart after God. The people answered him in accord with this word saying, thus it will be done for the man who kills him. They explain it again. Now, verse 28, Eliab, his older brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger burned against David. And he said, why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your insolence and the wickedness of your heart. For you have come down in order to see the battle. I believe already David in this exchange is saying, man, if nobody else is going to do this, I'm going to do it. 
that it's almost coming across that way. And that's where his brother now starts getting, getting into the mix. And David is, David's already, now he's ready, I'm, I'm, I'll take care of this. And we see here that before the big battle takes place, we're going to see a few battles that take place that David goes through. And there's a great picture that we need to understand in all of this because we will face those same things. When we are called by God to step out in faith to do great things for him. We talked of this this last Sunday when we pray to God and we say, God, command me to do the impossible. I believe David is feeling in his heart that God is calling him now, commanding him to go and do the impossible. Go kill that guy. And so he is now taking that first step in faith by challenging all of the rest of them in their own faith and in their own stance in this whole thing. And we see the first battle that we will face as we step out. And that is resistance from those closest to us. So we talked on, on, on Sunday too. This happened to Jesus. He said a prophet is not without honor except in his own hometown and with his own family. When we step out, those who know us best that grew up with us, who knew us before we came to the Lord and, and knew all of those things and maybe know a whole lot about us in our past and even things that we struggle with now, they're going to say, you? You're going to be the one? Questioning motives? Oh, you're going to do this so that you can get recognized? You're going to do this so that you can get your name in the paper? Call it questioning our hearts? We need to be prepared for that because it happens all the time. And that's what takes place here. But you know what? Virtually every time there's another piece of that puzzle. The reason they're lashing out is because they realize the weakness of their own faith. That had to be tormenting Eliab, the oldest, the one who's supposed to be an example for his younger brother, and now his younger brother is coming in and basically challenging him. Where's your faith, Eliab? How come you're not the one that's out there taking this guy on? He didn't, it, Eliab didn't have a problem with David talking to him back in verse 20, 23 when he's just hanging around talking about, hey, how things going? Brought some food. Dad says, hey. Didn't have any problem with that. But now when he steps out in faith and even again challenging his faith, that's when the attack comes. And it's interesting when he says, have you come down to see the battle? What battle? <laughs> what battle's going on? There's no fighting going on. But again, in pride, we're taking care of this. Who are you to come along now? But David said, what have I done? What have I done now? Was it just not a question? Then he turned away. Key. <laughs> when we are facing that, when people are coming against us and questioning our motives and questioning all of that, to stand there and fight is what the enemy wants us to do. To focus on them. To focus on defending ourselves. To focus on making sure that they understand that they're wrong and da-da-da-da-da. Because then... Our energy is not focused on the real battle that's ahead. We need to turn away. One of my favorite sayings is, if somebody has a problem with you, that's their problem. Don't make it your problem. You need to continue to go forward with what God has called you to do, knowing that this is going to happen. Peter tells us, why, why should we be surprised when these things happen to us? He turned away from him to another and said the same thing, and the people answered the same thing as before. When the words which David spoke were heard, they told them to Saul, and he sent for him. David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail on account of him. Your servant will go and fight the, this Philistine. And I just, I love that. I could just see him walking into Saul's tent. Saul, 
no problem. I got this. Everybody can just relax. <laughs> the, guy, the guy who's willing to go take care of that is here. Everybody else, just kick back. Have lunch. I'll be back in a minute. Then Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine and fight with him, for you are but a youth, while he has been a warrior from his youth. Battle number two. The experts that are going to come in and say, you can't do that. You're not prepared for that. You haven't gone through enough training for that. We've, we've, been, we've been to seminary. We've been to this. We've done that. We've gone through all this. You, who are you? you? You are not prepared. Again, calling into question, you're but a youth. Paul told Timothy, don't let anybody despise your youth. Don't let that come against you. You have been called. You have, God has chosen you for this. And if God has chosen you for this, that's all you need. You just be obedient and step out in that. Again, look at, look at I get so many parallels that as I was preparing this today to parallels to this last week. Jesus, command me to come out to you on the water. I can almost hear somebody in the boat saying, Peter, you can't walk on water. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. It doesn't matter what the experts say. Don't you understand physics? You're going to put your foot on that and go right down to the bottom. It doesn't matter what everybody else says. God has called you. You step out in faith. God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. When you move forward in faith, you get what you need to finish what it is that he's called you to do. Don't let anybody tell you you're foolish or weak because you are. And that's who God chooses, right? <laughs> that's, what, that's what Paul tells us. That's a compliment, so take it that way. But David said to Saul... Your servant, speaking of himself, was tending his father's sheep when a lion and a bear came and took a lamb from the flock. I went after it and attacked him and rescued him from his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I seized him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Just that picture alone. That's one tough kid. <laughs> Going after one lamb, striking and killing, grabbing it by the beard, first of all, and then... Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them since he has taunted the armies of the living God. You can almost feel in his blood starting to boil as he says that again, this uncircumcised Philistine. He's not bragging here, by the way. He's not, he's not boasting in himself. He sees this, that God delivered him from the lion and the bear, and God will deliver him from this Philistine. He's reflecting on his past preparation. He looks back now and he sees these, these trials and difficulties that he went through and possibly at the time didn't understand why he's, God, are you serious? You want me to go kill that lion? But seeing that now and being able to draw on that past performance, but also reflecting on the faithfulness of God. As he did that before, God was faithful before, and he will be faithful again because God is always faithful. He's not bragging. He's boasting in the Lord. The living God. He says that again. He said it earlier, back in verse 26. Here again, the armies of the living God. His God is alive. <laughs> Our God is alive, and he lives in us. 
As we spoke on, on Tuesday or on, on uh, Sunday again, when Jesus called out, he said, don't fear, I am. I am, that is God's name, I am. He is everything we need. He is everything we need exactly when we need it. And David is standing on that truth and he is knowing that when he needs it and when it's, when it's time, God will come through because he always does. Boasting in the Lord, not in himself. David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. Saul said to David, go, and may the Lord be with you. Then Saul clothed David with his garments and put a bronze helmet on his head, and he clothed, clothed him with armor. David girded his sword over his armor and tried to walk, for he had not tested them. So David said to Saul, I cannot go with these. I have not tested them, and David took them off. Third battle, don't fight with somebody else's armor. You can imagine the picture. Remember, it tells us that Saul was head and shoulders above everybody else. And David, still growing probably, putting this stuff on, kind of like my kids, putting my clothes on, trying to walk, trying to, trying to go out and, and, and run a race, wearing my shoes. And, and that type of, it's, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. And so many people will say, okay, well, if you're going to do it, here's how you do it. Here's how I'd do it. If you would do it that way, then go do it right? Saul, why are you giving me your armor? It wasn't good enough for you. He says he took them off. Bible tells us, Zechariah 4, 6, not by might nor by power, but my, by my spirit, says the Lord. Don't rely on somebody else's armor. Don't rely on what other people say. Well, here's, here's how to do it. There's wisdom in getting counsel, but again, we need to walk in the way the Lord is calling us to walk. And so many will try to say and interject their own way. And in another thing that we see here that's a, a huge battle number four, if you would, before we get to this other one, we don't dress like the enemy to defeat the enemy. We don't put on the, the airs of the world to go out and conquer the world. Again, by my spirit, says the Lord. We don't put on the armor of the world. We put on the armor of God. And that's what David said. None of this stuff. I don't need any of this stuff. I, I serve the living God, and he's the one who will bring the victory this day. He took a stick in his hand and chose for himself five smooth stones from the, book, from the brook and put them in his shepherd's bag, which he had, even in his pouch, and his sling in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. Five, five smooth stones. People ask the question, somebody asked before, why five stones? Bible doesn't tell us. I can tell you why not. I can tell you why he didn't get five stones because some people believe it's because he was concerned that one stone wasn't enough. That ain't it. I can promise you that. That's not it. Why do, why do I think? Purely my speculation and a lot of others along the same line. Second Samuel tells us Goliath had four brothers. I think David was going to say, I'll take care of him and him and him and him and him. Another interesting thing. Do you remember where the brook was in the picture? It was in the valley. He walked down the hill without any ammo. He's walking right at him without any ammunition. 
<laughs> he gets down there, casually picks out five smooth stones. The Philistine came up on David and approached him with his shield bearer in front of him. wonder if David first looked up, saw the shield bearer first. He goes, oh, you don't look so big from down here. Probably not. The Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. You, see, you can see right away the enemy, it says that he disdained him. He hated him. Something within him made him hate David more than anyone else that would have come down. And you know what that is? The spirit of God in David. The enemy hates it when a spirit-filled person stands up against him. Because the Bible says again, resist the devil and he will flee from you. He knows that he doesn't stand a chance against Almighty God. He loves it when we come by ourselves in our own power. Verse 44, the Philistine also said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. This day the Lord will deliver you up into my hands and I will strike you down and remove your head from you. And I will give the dead bodies of the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that all this assembly may know that the Lord does, does not deliver by sword or by spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. It's easy for us when we are reading through this story to, because we've all heard it before. We know how it ends. David didn't. David didn't read the story first. He didn't get a script ahead of time. And it's important that we understand that because we know the end of his story, but we don't know how our battles are going to play out. We don't know how how it's all going to work, work out in the details of it. But we do know the end, just as David knows the end here. The battle is the Lord's, and he is victorious. We can stand in that same truth because we serve the same God that David serves. He said, he will give you into our hands. I love that again, that idea. As Christians, we know this. We are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. More than conquerors. Then it happened when the Philistine rose and came and drew near to meet David that David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. Again, I love that. How do you not love David? I mean, again, here's this guy that everybody else is running away from and David's like, let me at him. He doesn't start tactically trying to figure stuff out. It says he ran at him. <laughs> he went right to it. Again, filled with the Spirit of God. And David put his hand into his bag and took from it a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine in the forehead. Again, this, he, he takes it in the sling, he starts swinging it around and lets it go and wham, right in the forehead. But you know, the, the, the amazing thing is, David was a, was a good shot, but it wasn't David's skill. He could have been, and that thing goes, whoa. It would have come right around and hit him in the back of the head. God is the one who brings the victory. We bring what we have. David brings a sling, five stones, and we just, just like David did, we just need to sling it. 
We have the word of God in our hands and the power of God's word right in us, in our hearts. And we need to simply speak it. God said that his word will not return void. It will accomplish what he intends it to do. David's intent was to knock down the Philistine, but that was God's intent too. That's why the, the stone found its mark. And the stone sank into his forehead so that he fell on his face to the ground. Thus David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, and he struck this Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in David's hand. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine. You can imagine that at this time, the two armies watching this go on. David, right? And that thing's booking, right? And it nails him in the head, Goliath falls down. Wonder what everybody's thinking. The Philistine's got to be thinking, ooh, that's a good ploy. He's going to play dead. You know, he's going to wait till he comes over. He's going to grab him. Ah. You know, or what, what's going on? All they can see is this giant nine-foot, boom, falls right down. David runs over, grabs the sword, drew it from his sheath, and killed him. He cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. <laughs> imagine David, as he cuts off his head, he holds it up in victory. And again, imagine the, the horror of the Philistines. David's probably calling out, who's next? And they take off, they flee. The men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines as far as the valley and the gates of Ekron. And the slain Philistines lay along the way to Shariam, even to Gath and Ekron. The sons of Israel returned from chasing the Philistines and plundered their camps. Then David took the Philistines' head and brought it to Jerusalem but he put his weapons in his tent. So he takes, he takes the weapons of Goliath, probably goes and hangs them up on, on his wall in his tent next to the lion skin and the bear skin, takes the head to Jerusalem. When Saul saw David going out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this young man? Abner said, by your, by your life, O king, I do not know. Now, he's, he knows who David is. David's been the one, but he'd forgotten, you know, the connection, who, whose father it was. The king said, you inquire whose son the, this youth is. Go find out. So when David returned from killing the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the Philistine's head in his hand. He's walking around with this. I, I know it's gross, but he's proud. He's like, look what God did. Saul said to him, whose son are you, young man? And David answered, I am the son of your servant, Jesse, the Bethlehemite. Amazing, amazing story. And again, amazing that the faith, fighting with what, with what we have, and the victory being the Lord's. I, uh, Instead of getting into chapter 18, I, I read a, I've read a book a few times by Alan Redpath. It's called The Making of a Man of God, and it's, it's Lessons from the Life of David. Fantastic book. Young men, got, dads, have your teenage boys read it. Ama great book. Dads, read it first. Have your teenage amazing, amazing book. But in his chapter where he's talking about this, he draws some amazing parallels between David and Jesus in this battle. First of all, he points out that both were sanctified by the Spirit and anointed by the Spirit of God. David, when he was set apart by the Father before he was born, remember we've talked about that, that before David was born, God said, there will be a man after my own heart. 
and then anointed by Samuel. First Peter tells us that before the foundation of the world, Jesus, the Son of God, it was, it was set up already that he was going to come and die for us, that he was going to shed his blood, the blood of the Lamb for us. First Peter says, before the foundation of the world. And then at his baptism, the Holy Spirit descends on him. They are sent by the Father, David, sent from tending his sheep to the battlefield. Jesus, 1 John 4, 14 says, the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. When they arrive on the scene, they're scorned by their brethren. We saw that with David and his brother. We saw that this Sunday when we were talking about that. Jesus, he came to his own and his own didn't receive him. Come to see the battle. That's David. There's no battle against the devil unless Jesus takes it up on our behalf. We, we, can't, we can't on our own. There was a private battle before a public battle. David with the lion and the bear privately out tending the sheep before the public battle. Jesus, tempted in the wilderness for 40 days by, the, by Satan, privately before the public battle on the cross for us. And the one that means the most to us with this is that the victory is shared by everybody. David defeats Goliath. They didn't hold up their end of the bargain. They didn't surrender and become slaves. They took off running, but everybody, all of the Israelites go and join in the battle and in the victory because of David's victory on the battlefield. Same is true with us. We enjoy the victory because of the battle that Jesus won on the cross on our behalf. As we read earlier, he became one of us so that by his death, burial, and resurrection, we are delivered from sin. We have victory. Again, we're more than conquerors. And he closes this chapter with this, and this is, I set this up because I want to read this from this. Again, Alan Redpath. So many Christians believe in the God of history and the God of prophecy. We believe all the great things he did in Wesley's day and in Moody's day. We believe in the great things he is going to do when he comes again. But how few of his people believe that he is the God of today, that he is present, that he is a living power in our hearts. How many of us know this story and we could say, yeah, and take all of those points, but how many of us are going to own these points when we leave? Again, that same God that fought and won the victory that day is the same God in us. Have you not discovered that you cannot match Satan with his weapons and with his armor? We have nothing except, and what a glorious exception, the word of God, the power of his spirit, the anointing of the Holy Ghost upon a life which has surrendered all confidence in the flesh. We have all of these things, and in these things, we are more than conquerors. I asked a question earlier, how many are you facing tough stuff this week? Things that are just seems insurmountable, giants, things that are just really oppressive, these things that yelling and screaming at us. We have victory. We can't do it in our own. We try to do it in our own flesh. We fight and we fight and we get weary but we stand in the promises of God. We stand on his word, filled with the Holy Spirit. We have victory. Have it. It's ours. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you 
for your word, for the fact that it is alive. And Lord, we thank you for this story, David and Goliath, one that we've heard so many times. But Lord, I pray that each one of us as we leave here today would take ownership of the truth that you are alive. You are the living God and you live in us. That we have the word of God, your very word. We have We don't have a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and love and discipline. So Lord, again, we, as we sang at the beginning, we surrender. We surrender all of our efforts. We surrender all of our ideas, all of our plans. We surrender them to you. We want to know you more. We want to know what you would have. We want to dance with you as you lead. So Lord, as we even spoke this last week and again see here displayed tonight in the story, Lord, command us to do the impossible and we step out in faith and we follow you. As these little battles come along the way, as people might come against us, Lord, we need to recognize that they're not the enemy, but that you have called us to greater things and we keep our focus and attention on you. Lord, we face very real battles and we need you. We thank you and we praise you for who you are and who we are in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys.